I don't know the new section names off by heart, by the way. Mate, try and do it now. Like, what's section one? So getting some sense out of father. Yeah. Nice. What's section two? Um, Come on, mate. What on earth is John doing this month? Is that three? Oh, that's section three. Is John doing Not John, this father. Oh, sorry, father. Keep it on brand. And then... Um, What's in John's diary? Father's diary. Oh, mate, he's just told you about keeping it on brand. (laughs) Right, that is indeed what's coming up uh, in this episode. Thank you very much for that, Rob. Um, (laughs) Scintillating start. June, then. June. Mm -hmm. It's heating up. Well, some say flaming June. June. Flaming Um, June, but it hasn't happened really yet. Who says that? Who says that? I don't know who is just an old saying, Flaming June, but Some I think say. it's... Uh, I mean, I have noticed, even though we've had a lot of cold days and uh, cold evenings, when the sun does come out, it is fiercer. So things are picking up, and it's really mm. important to get some fierce heat because we need our invertebrates to be warm and active so that they fly, crawl, wriggle, whatever and provide plenty of food for our nesting birds. So I'm very well, keen for the, the for the uh, weather to be nice and warm. Yeah, uh, as many people are, I'm sure. May then. Let's recap May quickly before we move on to June. And probably uh, the biggest thing that we were talking about in terms of events, John, if you can call it that, was, of mm. course, No Mo May. Yes, no more May. So really important. The idea, in a nutshell, the idea is to not mow part or the whole of your lawn, which would usually be a monoculture of just grass, and basically see what comes up in the patch that you leave. Uh, because the idea is that it doesn't matter where you live and how big or small your garden is, you're going to get. Um, a lot of sort of what you might call alien species that have introduced themselves by seed but never get the chance to actually flourish and those particular things uh, if you do allow them to flourish will often be pollinators and therefore will be important to uh, nectar bearing uh, insect or nectar seeking insects and um, invertebrates Uh, or of course they might be the food plant for various life sections uh, of 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 those insects so i actually popped out a couple of days ago to my no mo patch and i've got a wee list of plants that i observed so would you like to hear them Yes, please. Nah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, please. Okay. Well, I didn't identify, but there are at least three different species of grass, which, of course, have um, what come do you up. Mean? And, sorry? Well, it's just, there's just one grass. No, there's loads of different loads of different grasses. And Does mine uh, still count as a grass, then, even no, though it's <laughs> The plastic grass doesn't count at this really? stage. It's got to be something That's that produces that is pollen. Harsh. And ah. can induce hay fever and things like that. So, three on, so grass, grass produces pollen? Yes, very much so. So if you, if you just walk along, you'll see now 
lo- the grass has got loads of um, sort of what you might call heads up. Now, they're not colourful flowers, but if you just whack them with a stick, you'll see absolutely clouds of pollen coming off them. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yes, a, a huge amount of pollen. And uh, and obviously they form seeds as well in the same way that flowering plants do. Only they're, these are wind pollinated as opposed to insect pollinated. So, so, so how can you differentiate between grasses? Uh, well, the the leaf type and the the shape that the heads of seeds come up. So you can have things like rye grass and timothy grass and coxfoot grass and oh timothy you, grass. Timothy grass <laughs> is one of my favourites actually. And going That's right up you went to, to school with You've the made giant that up. <laughs> uh, things like pampas grass. You know those massive pampas grass plants that you get sort of a little bit retro 70s but uh huge sort of like grassy stems with massive mm. plumes of uh seeds on on top on stems so yes uh grasses very much are um uh, have you know uh seed heads and pollen heads anthers etc so anyway wow. three or four types of grass uh two types of plantain ribwort and the round uh, leaved uh primrose hawksbit which is very common yellow flower looks a bit like dandelion uh dandelion itself um herb robert daisy dock herb robert Hello. herb robert yeah that's one of the geranium that's what family they call me no. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually uh in your honor herb robert does it's quite a med- medical med- medicinal plant but it does smell a little bit like wee i'm sorry rob but that's no. that's how it is mm. um yeah if the shoe fits yeah <laughs> <laughs> so where did i get to daisy dock wild white clover um rush uh buttercups napweed dandelion i've said ragwort uh mayweed and speedwell how big was your patch yeah i was gonna say what was your it's patch it's probably then? about i suppose eight feet by six feet something like this and Jeez. this is literally just on the front verge so anyone listening to this in the village you'll see what looks like an unkempt front verge it's actually a nature reserve so doesn't that just show, you know, it would have had a monoculture of one type of grass which never got the chance to do anything, and now it's got in excess of 20 different species that have come to fruition. And one of the jobs for uh, June is when when it's all gone to seed, etc., you can slash that down and mow it and return it to... Um, lawn because the seeds that will come out you know as you're slashing it down uh should provide the growth for next year if they're sort of biennials or annuals and uh, if they're perennials they just keep trying to grow awesome so before we move on to june then yeah you wanted to give out a shout out john Yes, I I don't know what you think about this, fellas, because um, I met my lovely friend Sarah at a wedding uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she said that she really enjoyed listening to the podcast, and thank you very much. So it's lovely to hear the podcast. She listens to it in bed, and she falls to sleep to it. (laughs) 
now. Ah, is that a backhanded, backhanded. compliment? Or is okay. that, yeah, I try kind of think sort of is can't be that riveting, but thanks, Sarah. Well, <laughs> it's either soothing or yes. Dull really dull. <laughs> I've heard yeah. that a few times, you know, like people no. like well, but like people saying things like um you know, they'll have to try and listen to an episode like three or four times <laughs> because they'll listen to yeah. it in bed and it just sends them off and I just yeah. think, well, yes. You know, maybe, maybe it's, it's some sort of yeah, some sort of therapy, hypnotherapy. Yeah. Hopefully but, today's I'm going to I, I was aware of Sarah's sort of comments and uh, I tried to throw in some weird freaky stuff for this month so hopefully to try and wake them up when they're listening and, uh, and keep them you. awake all <laughs> night fathoming it out nice. yeah okay all right well th- thank you sarah we think for those uh, for listening anyway yeah. even if it does take you a few uh, few times and we're glad that it's so soothing uh, let's move on to section <laughs> one then robert would you like to introduce it it is of course getting some sense out of father Getting some sense out of father, which is where father nature himself uh, runs through as many different senses as he pleases, really, uh, about the month ahead. So uh, what we can expect uh, from June from a sensory perspective, John, what are you going to start with? Yeah. I'm going to start with the sense of touch. And uh, this is something which um, visually I know probably everyone will have seen. Um, And it's something called cuckoo spit. Uh, a lot of people sort of don't know what it is when they first see it. They think it might uh, somewhere might be sprayed with some like pesticides or uh, fertilizer or something like that, because you just see bundles of moist spit um, probably i suppose about a centimeter long and almost as fat and you'll see it over stems of things like dock some of the grasses loads of different plants actually that get affected and uh what i'd encourage people to do hence the uh sense of touch here and to try and connect a bit closer with uh this this sensation is just to very gently uh, take two fingers and run them up through that cuckoo spit just very gently because what you'll find is you will uh, reveal uh, a wee invertebrate it's an insect called a frog hopper and it's quite sweet you'll see it on the end of your finger and it will crawl out of the spit and you can look at it sort of really quite closely so it's the nymph stage so uh, when I say nymph, near, all um, invertebrates go through various stages of development and they need to shed their skin and they move into the next sort of instar. And so uh, these guys, frog hoppers, uh, they actually, uh, believe it or not, I did a little Instagram uh, thing on this, they feed on the xylem sap in plants and literally blow bubbles out of their backside and that excretes some of the water but it builds this protective bubble around the actual plant uh, sorry around the actual uh, creature itself so it can grow protected from things like you know believe it or not climate temperature change but also 
uh, you would think that anything that feeds on invertebrates, like various birds and such like, would just come in and peck them out. But apparently the froth is really bad tasting. I've not actually tasted it myself. It's one of the... I'll, I will try it, actually, but it's, I just haven't <laughs> got round to it yet. Um, in fact, I didn't know that it was meant to be foul tasting, but I, it, it we'll did be the judge make that, me huh? wonder why these things weren't more vulnerable. Well, it did come out his arse, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yes, yeah, so that's sort of in the in the eyes of the taster, whether it's good, bad or indifferent. But uh, So are you, when are you it, saying this is touch and taste then, John? Well, no, I'm not going to recommend no. that, just in case it's toxic. I'll try <laughs> it on myself first. <laughs> um, but then the frog hopper will... Uh, it develops within that cuckoo spit. It will hatch out in uh, the adult phase where it can not only jump incredibly, hence frog hopper, uh, but it also flies, very often gets uh, caught in moth traps and things like that or fly at night a lot. And uh, it will mate and lay its eggs and therefore the uh, the life cycle continues. So that's that's what I'd encourage people to go and sort of find and sorry and which plants might we find this on uh you'll find it on loads of plants actually rob it's it's very um it, it's very common just in sort of uh grass fields that have been left to go to that have been used for sort of um hay or haylage as opposed to grazed if the grass is grazed short by livestock you won't get it um, you might get it in the margins uh, where they, but they they seem to need sort of fairly tall stalks, and uh, and they need a good fleshy stalk to obviously suck the sap out of. And uh, so if it's a if it's a dry old seed head, that wouldn't work for them. And is it bad for the plants that it's sucking the sap out of? Well. It's a mute point, actually, because as we'll find out as we go through this podcast, some of the things that um, that do suck sap, they are they can be quite debilitating on plants. Not only because they they suck all the sap out of it, uh, but also because they can, uh, if they move from plant to plant, they can transfer plant diseases. So horticulturalists, a lot of the time, if they've got any sap suckers, uh, they will apply a um, insecticide and try and get rid of them. Brutal. So it's not literally cuckoo spit then. That's just that's so just the not term. literally cuckoo spit, but it looks like spit, and it starts turning up when the cuckoo is calling. Ah, so as we learned last month. Which is there's worth, your timing thing. It's worth revisiting May's episode just to hear about the cuckoos. Yes. Lovely. Okay, so that is what we can touch then, John. What next? Yep. Right, let's go for smells. Uh, because one of my favourite smells in nature is the um, smell of the honeysuckle flowers. So honeysuckle is uh, a climbing plant uh very common in in the right sort of woodlands and it literally spirals its way up trees uh and it can go up to sort of 40 feet and produce some really big uh bushes uh it's perennial and uh it produces the most fantastic uh amount of flowers and uh the fragrance that 
comes with those flowers is one of my favourites. So the interesting thing about the honeysuckle is that it releases its nectar predominantly in the evening and overnight. So any idea why that might be, guys? Um, it produces its nectar in the evening and overnight. Yeah. I think Rob has a good idea of this one, so I'll hand it over to him. I seem to go answer all of these questions. I'll leave this one to you. <laughs> well, think why a plant, think why a flowering plant might produce nectar in the first place. What's the point of being fragrant? To attract the pollinators. Exactly that. So, well done, Robbie. And basically, honeysuckle is pollinated by moths. And, of course, moths no. are... And so, uh, so basically, um, yes, it's, it's pollinated by moths. It is also quite important. I mean, it does smell a bit during the day, and it's quite important for some insects. I mean, the white admiral butterfly almost depends on it. Um, it's also a food plant for... Uh, quite a few insects uh, the berries are good for birds in the winter and um, interestingly uh, dormice they're very rare now um, but they they like to nest in very thick tufts of uh, honeysuckle and even if they don't if they've got the opportunity to use the dormouse box or something like that very often their favored nesting material is the bark from the bottom of a honeysuckle because it naturally flakes off so on the one hand the dormice nick it for their nests on the other hand bushcrafters like myself tend to peel it off because it makes an excellent tinder as well so that's how it grows it's just a beautiful climber and i'd say yeah if you can get out in the evening time just breathe the air especially it seems to be after if you've had a bit of rain and it's nice and still the scent just hangs in the air it's deep and heavy and musty and beautiful could you describe the scent john or is it like nothing else that you've smelt it's it's a very deep smell it's a bit like if i was to choose a perfume that it's a bit like uh it's the one called opium deep and heady but that probably won't mean anything to you guys because I don't think you wear it. <laughs> I do. No. <laughs> it's okay. lovely. So it's it smells a bit like Father Nature himself then for any <laughs> listeners who are intrigued by what you smell like, which I'm sure plenty are. Again, only in the <laughs> if evening. They smelt honey, if, yeah, yeah. if they smelt honeysuckle, that gives them a good in- indication. Yes, on a good day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Right, so uh, that's touch and smell, John. Yep. Have you got anything else for us? I've got a sound for you. And, okay, um, nice. So I'm going to play this sound, as ever, to tease you and to see if you've got an idea what it is. So, hoping this is loud enough, have a wee listen to this. I reckon, well, is that a screaming party or whatever it's called for the Swifts? Oh, well done. So have you had them? Have you seen them? Brilliant. Do you know what, actually, so... Where have you plucked that from? You can't just carry on. What do you mean the screaming party of the Swifts? I feel like we spoke about this on a pod last year and we had them at the time. Like, 
it was so loud around the house and I was like and then yeah you just had these um they were quite high in the sky though I seem to remember yes. like but yeah it's just these um huge flocks of swifts basically uh, and yep. they, yeah it's like in um unmistakable and that yeah it's screaming party and yeah. it was at the same time which I'll shout out um Michael lives uncle had given me a bird song book and mm. it was like rife with um things like that so yeah, yeah I was able to do some reading up on it uh, excellent. Well, well remembered, Rob, because, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So the, the Swift um, is l- literally one of the most incredible birds on Earth, I think. Um, sadly in decline. That's a massive statement, John. You're going to have to back that is. up. With well, OK, let's just tell you, it's... Um, How does it stack up against the Wren? The humble <laughs> The wren. humble Wren. <laughs> well... Yeah, I don't like to compare, really. They're all wonderful individuals. But let me tell you that the... Uh, yeah. How about this? The swift is the fastest bird in this country. And mm. a lot of people would say, no, it's not. It's the peregrine. But the peregrine, which can top out at 200 miles an hour in a stoop, can only do it in a stoop. The swift can fly at about 70 miles an hour just on its own sort of like uh, propulsion. And that mm. makes it the fastest. Um, wow. Not only can it fly that fast, it flies here from Africa and back each year. It doesn't land at all, not for the first sort of three or four years of its life. It literally sleeps on the wing, eats <laughs> on the wing. <laughs> Hang on, what? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't land for three or four years. Well, it's, it's sleeping at yeah. 70 miles an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm afraid so. Where does it, play? It, it just eats like insects or stuff in the air. Yeah, or? insects. Um, and uh, so totally airborne. And so it can obviously eat as it migrates, etc. It doesn't need to land. Uh, the only How do time... you sleep on the wing? Well, it's an interesting question How because. Like autopilot, sort of. Yes, must be yeah, it's right? pretty much autopilot, and that I mean, I'm I'm no scientist, but the the theory is that such creatures, and this includes also um, things like dolphins and also sharks, um, they they tend to employ one side of their brain at the time when they're asleep. They can let one side sleep and then the other side sleep so they can keep themselves in motion keep their balance obviously keep their wherewithal and um and yeah that's how it works so if a swift Mm. lands on the ground it'll die because they they've got instantly not instantly as soon as it dehydrates or gets caught by a predator because it can't take off again um the only time why not because its its legs are too weak, and it's just sort of pinned to the ground, it it, it doesn't get the propulsion to take off. So what they do is they find their nesting um, habitat, which is sort of deep crevices in rock faces, stuff like that. But mostly they love buildings, um, particularly old churches, belfries in churches, where they can scrabble to the edge and then drop off, and they're in flight. And uh, so, uh, so they're quite handicapped on the one hand with their sort of um, legs, but they've got these incredibly uh, scimitar-shaped, thin aerodynamic wings, which they can fly 
just incredibly efficiently. So they can fly, as I say, three or four years without stopping, and then they'll <laughs> only stop to breed. That's the only thing they stop for, which is quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, you know, if you think to yourself, well, they're, they're going to do sort of just in their migration, they're going to cover 5,000 miles. So what are they going to do when they're doing, you know, 100, couple of hundred miles every day flying around just looking for food in this country? And this is one of the reasons why I was saying we, we need to have a bit of warmth to get the invertebrates up, which is what they'll be feeding on. And you mentioned, Rob, that they're very, very high. Um, when they're very, very high, that's usually an indication that uh, the weather's quite good and the insects are like on thermals and so they are quite high. The Swiss will come down lower in poor weather when the insects tend to be lower as well. So you can almost sort of like calculate or predict what the weather's going to be watching the Swifts. Same goes for the house martins and the uh, swallows and such like and sand martins they'll do the same as far as the height that they're feeding at so why are they all screaming then is it because they're so bloody knackered and they're just trying to keep themselves <laughs> away so they're just woken up at 70 miles an hour yeah. <laughs> and got a shock <laughs> it's just their call literally right that's just their call there there's quite a lot of um people making an attempt to sort of restore their numbers obviously anything that migrates is slightly out of our hands as far as their survival goes but in trying to improve their survival once they're here um quite apart from what our father nature um fans hopefully are doing which is growing loads of uh, pollinators and insect rich plants to encourage the insects apart from that you can actually put nest boxes up for swifts and they're 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 quite long they need sighting carefully you'd want to go on to something like the british trust for ornithology website and look at the details of it um and uh put them up sort of under the ease of the house and such like i've no idea how successful these, these have been but modern built houses that they, they, they don't have the nooks and crannies really that uh we used to have in the old days for things like house sparrows and house martins and um and swifts and other things like starlings that like to sort of venture into gaps in the uh fascia boards and such like right that's three senses then john yeah you got anything else for us yes we got a nice taste for you this month Ooh. uh something that sort of a couple of people have messaged me about um this year and that's the again another wonderful fragrance but a, a very sweet taste as well and that's elderflowers so uh elder is essentially a bush as opposed to a tree very common and at the moment it's got quite big florets of pure white flowers and if you just sort of if you can spot them uh take the trouble to have a good sniff and if they're still producing nectar they are very very sweet and that's the time to pick them to make cordial um now cordial still involves a massive amount of sugar so it's not to everyone's taste but the sugar is basically to preserve it and they have got a, a 
beautiful distinctive flavor um go very well a dash of that in a in a gin and tonic or go very well a little dash of it in something like you know carver champagne prosecco and uh just to give it a, an extra bit used a lot in cocktails so a very versatile drink but quite sugary one of the things i was going to say which is quite interesting is the guys who make uh the elderflower cordial sort of what you might call commercially they actually employ sniffers now these guys have got a good obviously a good sense of smell because they can discern between the flowers that have been pollinated and don't smell so good and the ones that are still producing nectar and have got a much sweeter um sort of like hue to them fragrance so sniffers are people the sniffers are people and they will literally hold a big tuft up take a waft and then it will go in one sack to go off to the cordial factory if it's full of nectar if it's just gone over so it's not producing nectar i.e it's been pollinated so it starts to form the berries uh then it has a, a different fragrance which is actually not terribly pleasant and if you want to get a hint of the unpleasant bit just take some of the elder leaves and scrunch them up in your hands and smell them and they've got a slightly acrid sort of bitter sort of flavor and uh so and that will that will alter the um obviously the flavor of if you mix in too much of that with your cordial you're not going to get that nice sweet edge so so that's another nice little experiment for our, our our listeners to have a go at and sort of get a bit closer to it and of course the other thing i would say is uh don't lose heart if it's if where you are uh the flowers have sort of kind of gone over they start to turn a little bit yellow uh because that of course is the source of a much more in my opinion uh valuable crop uh which is the elderberries but we'll talk more about elderberries a little bit later in the year and so is cordial the main thing you can do with elderflower can you do anything else with it uh yes or fritters um a lot of people are very keen on sort of like dunking the flowers into batter and deep frying them and uh you know tempura yeah nice so that's that's another nice thing to do with them okay then are you going to treat us to all five cents john are you going to leave of course no this is another one now um i'm going to actually give you another sound although what i want people to look out for is um something that's quite difficult to look out for but this time of year we get a bit more capable because we're talking roe deer now, roe deer probably our most common deer. The um, roe deer, the roe deer, <laughs> the Rob Roe Absolute deer studs. And uh, <laughs> so, roe, is it rutting season? Not quite. Not in this it's house. A very interesting mm. question that you pose for me there, <laughs> because roe are like no other creature in this country for how they breathe. You can say that again. <laughs> you can say that again. So. Very unique breeder. <laughs> At the moment, the roe deer have dropped their kids, as they call it. So the fawns have been born. They're born in June, which is very unusual, in that they mate 
in sort of late July. Now, their gestation actually isn't that long. But what happens is uh, the come sort of uh, late July, early August, the roe bucks, which is the lads, they will pursue the roe does uh, and until they become come into progesterone and then they will mate with them estrogen i should say and then they will mate with them now the unusual thing is those does will still be lactating because they are feeding their young now hardly any mammals on earth uh ovulate whilst they're lactating and so this is a very unusual thing and it's it's thought to be a bit of a um an adaptation in that that roe doe will carry her fertilized eggs right through the winter but they won't actually implant until the springtime and then they will implant and according to whether she's had a good winter or a bad winter it's usually two but sometimes they'll have a single very occasionally they'll have triplets uh not that usually uh they'll all survive but um so yes they they'll implant in march and uh and she'll carry them through till june when they're born now when they're born the the deer become quite uh sort of anxious about sort of uh predators obviously because they're very um uh vulnerable now, what they do is they will kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word instruct, but they they instinctively are able to get the fawns or the kids to just curl up and lie down. And then the, the doe will leave them and go and graze and this, that and the other, and she'll come back to them to obviously give them their, their top up of milk and such like so they'll literally leave them in a, a, a small sort of like form you know which is just curled up in the grass quite important not to touch them um, because you don't really want to get them to stand up and run um, but what I want people to listen out for is if you're coming close to a um, fawn then very often the doe and this time of year also sometimes the bucks will bark at you you might not see them but they'll make this noise so i'm just going to bring this noise up and see if this works it's rather dog-like but a bit different so what do you make of this Do it a couple more times. The robark. It's higher pitched than mm. I was expecting. Right. So, so yeah, that's the call of the row, and um, <laughs> obviously they're not so bothered about showing themselves because they they're distracting predators away from their young. And uh, again, if we've gone out to sample our honeysuckle and such like, which might be sort of in the evening time, you've got a very good chance of seeing Roe. Just go nice and slow and quietly 
and and keep your eyes out. They're very well camouflaged, but they might well draw your attention to them with that barking. And um, yeah, they're they're great to watch. And the, the, it's the road does that are mostly protective at this time of year. The bucks don't have much to do with the rearing of the young, but as I said, and we'll we'll perhaps talk about this, you know, in a couple of months. Uh, late July, August, when the rut's on, then the the uh, bucks will start to call and bark a fair bit more because they're they're getting territorial, and uh, they have to keep keep the other bucks out if they can. I have just realised that. Um most of our listeners won't actually realise that Rob's surname is Roe <laughs> and <laughs> will be wondering what on earth we've been talking about for the last few minutes. So, uh, oh, yes, that's what we'd be banging on about. <laughs> Mate, Herb Robert Roe. <laughs> so then, John, just to summarise, we're going to try and touch some cuckoo spit. Yep. <laughs> smell some honeysuckle. Yeah. Taste some elderflower. Mm-hmm. Hear some swifts. Yes. And see some roe. Some roe deer. deer. Yep, indeed. Rob, I don't know about you, but I am curious as to what is in Father's Diary for June. Yeah, nothing beyond the watershed, though. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we delve into it, Father? Indeed. It's actually... As for, but because of various things beyond my control, it's it's largely tragically empty for a lot of things. Um, because of this little thing we mentioned last last uh, month about my impending little op, and that hasn't happened. We should actually just explain before you go into it, John, that this section is, of course, where uh, Father tells us about any natural events that are happening in the month that we're talking about. So what have we got for June? Well, it's not so much a natural one. This is a man-made one, so to speak. And th- this is just our celebration of midsummer. And uh, on June the 21st, so is the summer solstice. Um, it's not really midsummer. It's, uh, you know, it's said to be um, the sol- solstice or you know the pagan celebration was called Letha, and uh it's celebrated sort of all over the northern hemisphere obviously has different names according to different cultures um but strictly speaking it celebrates the start of summer the gateway to summer and um but it is halfway through our gregorian calendar year so it does tend to get called midsummer and especially um in norse terms they refer to it in various sort of uh derelictions of midsummer so it's a, a fire festival and uh it's it's basically a a celebration of really nourishment and sort of like um doing well with things like farming and gardening and existing is a time of what you might call plenty and also a, a time of great optimism as you we move into the sort of like um abundance of of autumn so it's quite uh it's quite a party this one um it it is very much seen as a, a celebration and uh 
it's I just think it's important to acknowledge it. I mean, in astral terms, it's the day when we get the most daylight and the shortest night. So um, I, I think sort of, you know, it, it's just one of those sort of joyous type ones that um, if we can on June the 21st, it, it's good to raise a toast to just, you know, summertime. It's probably worth plugging the episode we did on it last year as well, right? Because we did an episode mm. on the summer solstice last year, which yes, was, we did. Yes, went into quite a lot of detail of how we've celebrated it and how you Over were going to celebrate it. And it was, yes. um, I think it's the, I think it's the episode that's been listened to the most. So it's definitely worth checking. Is out. it? Yes, mm. yeah, that, that would be a good call, actually, Rob. I mean, it, it is one of those things where um, a lot of people go to the weekend either side of it and. Um, you know, it it can be a, a good old excuse to sort of bang a drum around a decent fire and and get some sort of mead or something like that and a good feast going. And uh, as I say, it, it's a, enjoying abundance. And anyone who gets a a nice uh, get to a nice viewpoint and you look over the countryside at the moment and it is really really lush it's fantastic and it's a time of sort of prosperity and uh as far as the food goes and so there's in accordance with nature it's a time when we've got young birds out of the nest the fledglings are out and they're all being fed we've got lots of our young mammals up we've mentioned roe deer but we've also got all the things like you know badger and fox cubs around and uh reptiles are breeding and uh it's it's just a mass time of of life you know super high energy so a a great one to uh, to celebrate you know who needs an excuse Mm. for a party eh and we shall be celebrating the weekend after, Robbie. We shall. We'll be in Glastonbury. Oh, we what will course. Indeed. Yeah. There was, I think, yeah, Ed, Edgar Allan Poe, he, he said, at midnight in the month of June, I stand beneath a mystic moon. So you can take that as your inspiration and get out there and just reflect on sort of, I mean, obviously this is a nighttime thing as well, but... Um, obviously, it's a, it's a planetary thing, and um, it's it's an undeniable thing. Of course, you you'll get a lot of parties kicking off at the various sort of Iron Age places, you know, and and beforehand you'll get Stonehenge. We'll have a bit of an attendant audience for sunrise and sunset, and uh, same as you do on the you know the winter version thereof, and uh, so so yeah. A good day to celebrate, although, of course, if you do decide to do dawn and dusk, that is a long day because it is the longest day. <laughs> How will you celebrate it this year, John? What will you do? Well, I haven't, haven't really decided because I was I was meant to be like flat, flat on my back convalescing. Mm. So, um, but I'll acknowledge it in, in some way or another. You will be in hospital for the longest stay of the yes, year. Yes, <laughs> true. So, oh. yes, that's that's why Father Nature's diary is a little bit frugal at the moment. <laughs> that brings us nicely on to section three, Rob, if you'd like to intro it for us. 
Absolutely. And I remember the name clearly. Yes, you do. <laughs> what on earth is Father doing this month? <laughs> what on earth is Father doing this month? Slightly different to Section 2 in that we're not talking about uh, an event as such, but uh, just something that Father is doing nature-wise. Uh, last month it was, of course, planning, because the operation was mm. due to be then. So, are you going to give us the same answer? No, John, I'm not or have you got something else for people to try? Because, you know, I'm going to sort of, I'm going to go with optimism, and fingers crossed that everything gets done, and one thing that I'm going to be doing, which I've kind of gotten out of the habit of doing, uh, and I would encourage everyone else to do, is just start taking in uh, some evening rambles. Um, I've be, Because I've been a bit achy, I've been tempted to not be doing so much in the evenings. And evening is just a fantastic time. And so, you know, it'll actually be part of, obviously, my recuperation and everything as well. I just want to get some evening rambles going as well. You know, just to... And these don't need to be special, but evening is a very special time for uh, wildlife and nature we've can you remember the lovely word that we introduced all that time ago for dawn and dusk uh crepuscular yeah that crepuscular time so particularly exciting right now so if you think about it logically our nighttime dwellers will be appearing quite early in the evening because the night time is so short and they need to do their stuff. So actually, in early evening, you will get great opportunities to see things like bats. Um, and also, if you're nice and quiet, that is the time when you'll see uh, some deer. You'll see um, fox foxes and uh, badgers rabbits you name it uh it will all be out fairly early evening also we get the dusk chorus of birds so it's a nice uh lively sort of like um sort of audio uh sort of session out there uh there's quite a lot of insects around in the evenings uh you get obviously the moths and uh if you're lucky you might get things like glow worms which um, I've had once or twice, but, you know, if you're not there, you just never see it. And the owls are, are, are quite noisy at the moment. And one of one of my absolute favourites, um, which I'm determined to have a ramble out and listen to, are night jars. Uh, we'll probably cover them maybe in the next session because they make the most wonderful noise going. Um, but even if you sort of just want to take in the air and get some of that deep honeysuckle and uh you know the the feeling of dew sort of starting to settle around you evening time is a fantastic time for a ramble and that is what i'm going to be doing i hope regularly for the rest of june awesome beautiful and simple <laughs> well there we go father as ever thank you well, thank you. Um, that is June. Next time we'll be back for July, which is a particularly special month. <laughs> <laughs> 
wouldn't we say? Who was born in July? Would we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let us know how you get on in June, everyone listening. Uh, if you're still awake, of course, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah, wake up. <laughs> and, yeah, we'd love to see your pictures, uh, what you go out and experience, etc. If you uh, manage to get out on an evening ramble or how you celebrate the summer solstice. So we're going to sign off for now. Yeah. And we hope to hear from you uh, during the month. And we will see you at the start of July. Indeed. Thank you Take very care, much. Take care, folks. Cheers. Cheers, chaps. Enjoy the nature. Enjoy the nature.